Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 10, I'm a Real Live Boy. This week, we're discussing season 1, episode 9 of Doctor Who, The Empty Child, and season 1, episode 9 of Buffy, The Puppet Show. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, we're starting out with Doctor Who uh, this week, The Empty Child. And I just, I have to say right up front that this is so far the creepiest episode that, that we've watched. I mean, I, I think hands down, it this one kind of freaked me out. I haven't uh, really been... I mean, I don't even know that I'd say I was scared, but man, that this, the the whole, are you my mommy? <laughs> are you my mom? Like, that's just creepy. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know. It was just, ugh. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, the majority of the audience would definitely agree with you. Yeah. Well, I, if they didn't, I don't know what I'd think of the audience, but. Yeah. Well, certainly um, in this first season, but also probably in, in the whole of New Who so far, um, it's up there, up there, yeah. up there with the the really iconic, and the the most iconic ones are usually the scariest. Sometimes they're the funniest, but but often what really makes it stick in your memory is the ones that freak you out. Sure, sure. I don't foresee forgetting this one for a while. Yeah. Um. So I think that makes sense. Um. But yeah, so the the uh, just the general tone. I mean, very dark episode overall. Um, just and I mean not dark thematically, but but dark um, in in the actual visual mm-hmm. um, aspects of the show. I mean, it almost it all takes place at night, right? I mean, Saul. Yeah. One night, yeah. and it's yeah. obviously very. You get the bombs and stuff, but even like the indoor scenes don't seem particularly bright. Um, at all so you get kind of this which you know may make sense if you're being bombed you're not gonna have turn off the lights yeah yeah a lot of lights on and stuff Um, yeah well and everything's deserted because everyone's hiding indoors so it feels very isolated you know uh, you know as well as physically dark yeah yeah exactly so i you know just had a this overall creepy dark mysterious factor to it that um yeah really really kind of puts the screws to you yeah um and i guess and and so of course i mean from the beginning you're you're wondering kind of what's going on and you see the kid on the roof and rose goes and follows him and then and then you hear when the doctor you know picks up the tardis phone which isn't supposed to work and you hear the voice you know the, are, you, are you my mommy and all of that and, and you kind of see him get worried like who is this who who are you yeah you know, why are you calling me um how and are just, you calling me yeah just i mean it just keeps going and going and going you know then there's the kid at the door kind of sticking his scarred hand through the mail slot yeah. and the, the um you know all these different different aspects to it but then you come to kind of find out that the kid isn't really the monster uh-huh. either that, that, I mean, obviously he's very creepy and no one wants to touch him, but you find out that the monster or the, the thing that they have to overcome is really this plague that's yeah um, infected him and, and gone on to infect others. And, and um, 
I don't know that that almost in a way makes it even creepier. Yeah. Because like it's not it becomes not a physical thing that you can fight against. Right. It you know it becomes and it's not you know even like a virus or some or at least we don't know that it's a virus or or whatever at this point. Yeah. At least I at least I don't know you you may know because you <laughs> saw the second half. I haven't seen the second uh, half of this story yet, so I don't I don't know what's going on still, but the. Like it's creepy enough when it's the kid, but it's it it becomes even creepier when you find out that there's you don't know really beyond the fact that it's some plague, yeah, and and you don't, I mean, apparently it can be spread by touch, but you don't know if it's also airborne or right. any other ways. Right. Well, it and it's not spreading. like you said, like it's not a monster. It's not um, a personality that can be defeated or reasoned with or stopped it's something physical that is completely it has no i mean as far as we know so far in the story it works like a sickness and that it doesn't have a motivation it's just mm -hmm. something completely um completely physical that's passing from person to person so it is more of the horror of a plague or a virus um which I yeah I agree is definitely definitely creepier. And so I was thinking about that. So the setting obviously is is World War Two. We're in London during the Blitz, um, being bombed and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I know we've been talking more about metaphors in the form of of Buffy and mm -hmm. kind of the teenage problems and 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 stuff that go on there. But like this, you know, it almost seemed like that that sort of uh idea is what they were applying here in in kind of a you know this is this is the war mentality right it's it's it is it, a thing that infects everybody and, and kind of becomes a disease in a way of 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 yeah you know wanting to fight and and conquer and or or fight to defend i mean either way and, and whether that's a disease or not it, it becomes um a motivating factor that this this um you know this fighting this thing that causes wounds and yeah. and dead people to um to sort of overtake whichever side you're on whether you are offensive or defensive you you know and sort of the nationalistic pride evidenced by the big union jack shirt that rose yeah. is wearing <laughs> um you know and and not that it's bad to be a patriot or anything but there is a there is a point where that becomes um you know, uh, something that becomes plague-like and, and becomes, um, harmful well, in the, a way. So, and, and, be, and I would even say to put like a spin on that, maybe not even like a fighting mentality in terms of military action, but the fear that war, like, you know, we talk about the creepiness of this episode, that it's almost like the plague is the fear that, this kind of war, you know, passes from person, which is infectious, you know, and that, so it's like, you know, because what's being passed on is the death and the wounds and the awful gas masks, you know, that get, like, grafted into their faces and everything. So, yeah, yeah so I think, like, like, if it's something that's, that's, you know, like, if the disease that's infecting London during the Blitz, I would see is maybe more of the fear and the horror of, 
you know, what war, like the consequence of what this kind of warfare brings with it. Sure, for sure. And, and I, I mean, and I think that's all sort of intertwined. I mean, part of that, part of that whole, um, you know, desire to, uh, conquer and stuff is, is in part based on fear. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's something that, Especially the Blitz, because, I mean, it's about destroying property, but it's also, and killing people, but it's also just about, yeah. you know. Well, it's terror. Just terror. It's, it's yeah. just whacking the living daylights out of a people into submission, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, that's the kind of, yeah, it's not, you know, gentlemanly meeting each soldiers, meeting each other in open battle. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's that kind of. As gentlemanly as that ever as was. As gentlemanly as battle can <laughs> yeah. ever be. But right, you know right. what I mean? It's not like, well, let's, you know, it's not like the big battle version of like a duel. If this is like sneak in in the middle of the night and mm-hmm. bomb the crap out of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, warfare mm-hmm. via, like you said, terror. Um yeah, well, and I just want to mention, too, before I forget, so this is the first episode written by Stephen Moffat, who um, was a celebrated TV writer before he started doing this, but he mostly wrote sitcoms, um, so the shows he okay. were, no, he ran a couple of shows which were well-received um, in the 90s and early 2000s, some shows called, they were called Press Gang, um, another one called Coupling, which is fairly popular I think and and other things as well but they were mostly um you know modern day comedy drama you know realistic nothing you know kind of our equivalent of like friends you know like not Mm -hmm. this kind of storytelling and but he was you know a Doctor Who fan from his childhood um and wrote a little bit like a lot of the other writers that did the first season had written for Doctor Who in, in prose, like as short stories that were published in magazines or, you know, some of them did novels or whatever. But this is his first TV episodes for the show. Um, okay. And, you know, so I think he had a few um, motivations, one of which was because he was a sitcom writer, he felt like everyone's going to expect me to do something small. So I want my episodes to be as big and expensive as possible and make them (laughs) grand epic movie scale, you know, so really wanting to kind of go for it. Um, But also, um, hence the two parter, hence the two parter, hence the, within the first five minutes, I'm going to have the companion hanging off a barrage balloon, wearing a union jack, wearing a union jack in the middle of the blitz. Like this, he said, like, what's the most trouble I can get the companion in in the first five minutes? And that's what right. I'm going to do. Um, and, but then the other thing being that from when he was a kid, he doesn't remember the show being campy and funny. He remembers it being terrifying. And okay. and now, rewatching Doctor Who, he realized how campy and funny it was, but remembering how he felt watching it as a kid and feeling a responsibility like that's really when you're a little kid that's what you remember and that's the impact and the legacy of the show so i'm gonna try to evoke as much of that fear as i possibly can and send kids behind the couch and hopefully send a few 
grown-ups behind the couch too. So <laughs> I was not behind the couch. I just okay. want to point that out. That's all right. right. Uh, um, I, I wonder if we'll we'll have to see if you ever get there. But <laughs> okay. Oh, geez. Nice. Uh, so so I think like you know, so all these things together. So his background in comedy writing. His mm -hmm. and his desire to make it big and epic, but also to make it terrifying, all come together in this sort of perfect storm in these episodes. And, you know, this is the first episode he writes, and we'll see many more from him later. And really, those three elements together, I think, create what is his sort of trademark style, which is this mix of the humor and you know the scares and and the way those two kind of bounce off each other um yeah and often in the same scene um you know sure. we'll see some more of that in the second in the second half too um but so i just kind of wanted to earmark that as while i think all those things are present in the show all the time in particular during moffat's episode i think he's really interested in scaring you as much as he possibly can but also bringing in uh, those comedic touches as well. Yeah, like has anything fallen from the sky recently? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some of that dark humor. Yeah, well, and yeah, he, and yeah, and and the the having Rose turn off her cell phone before. He, yeah, nobody before actually Jack can pull believes her in. that. Yeah, 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 with the right the tractor beam. Like, um, no, seriously, it, it messes with the instruments. <laughs> no, no, really, you have to do it. And and <laughs> my other favorite is. Uh, when the children are all around the table and he says, it's really, I'm not sure if it's Marxism in action or a West End musical. <laughs> like, they're all going to burst into Oliver Twist at any point, you know? Like, right, right, like, right. The, his wit is uh, always, always fantastic. Uh, oh, what, and the other one I really love, too, is I'm looking for a blonde and a union, Jack. A specific one. I didn't just wake up this morning with a craving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's um, great. So, yeah. So he's great for a good scare, great for a one-liner, um, and and tries to kind of make his episodes as exciting as possible. So, mm. um, and well, this is a very well-received uh, first outing for him. Definitely... Uh, one of the highlights, if not the highlight of the first season. Cool. Yeah, it definitely, definitely held my interest, um, despite being rather creepy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess it, just talking a little more um, explicitly about the monster then. Um, so, okay, we, we get we get these, you know, this information about the kid. Uh, what's wrong with him he's empty <laughs> you know like mm -hmm. but but then again we we go on to find out that it's it's not him but the the this idea of physical injuries as a plague and it's i i guess we're led to believe that it's this um object that jack threw in the way of the tardis mm -hmm. that is causing these things like the timing right um, right the is, timing's is suspicious the so that so either what what he threw down there is responsible or else is somehow involved because that seems to be ground zero for well this and, plague and, which is spreading out and he mentions an ambulance which of course mm -hmm. is associated with sickness and 
healing, yeah. but you know, I mean, you know, they say if if you're not sick when you go into a hospital, you will be when you come out kind of right, thing, you know, right. like like that sort right. of idea. Well, you only need be... ambulances because there's something to be healed. Right. Know, and, and maybe from, there was yeah. yeah, maybe it was quarantined or something and there's something with the ambulance itself. Yeah. Um I like too but, the the it's kind of vague, you know, cuz we we don't have the second half of the story to really no, we don't. go and into really the bugging. detail. So, uh, but I, I, just for creep factor, even though we don't quite know what he means yet, um, the doctor's line about human DNA is being rewritten yeah, by, well that, by an idiot. And like, that was going to be my next, that, yeah. Yeah, that was going to be my next So it's not there, even, it's, it's not even just like a virus or something that infects you. It's like your DNA is being tampered with. Right. Yeah. Your, your very essence as a person. Yeah. And, and, and that it's deliberate is also the fear. I mean, it, this is biological warfare, yeah. so to speak. Sure. Yeah. Like you, you're, you're not, you're not just dealing with, I mean, it may, I suppose it could have been an accident, but it, I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it, it ultimately is it better if it's an a- accident or not. And it's it's not contained. We know that there's cases breaking out all over London. The do- the other doctor tells us not the doctor, but the human do- doctor. Doctor Constantine. There you go. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> um. And and so yeah, like is it is that because we've got the like you know what's the deal? All these people are in their beds, you know, in this hospital. And of course they get up and start coming after the doctor and Rose and, and whatever at the end of the episode. But clearly um, the boy isn't in his bed, or at least he can get out anytime he wants to and sort of wander around. Or is he a manifestation? Right. Or like, we don't, we don't, right. we just don't know enough because he kind of keeps disappearing. But then his Nancy, the mm-hmm. sister also, sort of the doctor turns around and she's gone at one point. Like, right, right. So is this just because kids are like that and they can disappear whenever they want because they're kind of street urchins and, right. you know, right. know all the, the secrets. The artful dodgers sort of. Yeah, exactly. Jumping or, out of the, yeah. Or, or is there something more nefarious going on, especially with the kid himself? I mean, I don't think we're, I, I think we're meant to think that about Nancy, but the kid almost acts like a ghost or a, yeah, a, yeah. A, a, uh, you know, some kind of manifestation rather than an actual physical person. Yeah, yeah. And well, because he can and, make the phone ring, he can get right. up on the roof. You know, and, he can and do the all instrument. These, yeah, yeah, all the different. You know, the radio and the whatever. You know, he's speaking through um, and turning stuff on left and right. Yeah. So, and then we're told that he's in room eight hundred two, implying that he's sort of been physically in the hospital all mm-hmm. along. Um, and of course he's the first victim. He's Nancy's brother. Like we kind of get that, but I just like, there's just a lot of questions at this point mm-hmm. that I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you can tell me or not tell me at this point. The, the, um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I, and I think that's part of the all of that. To it yeah. Point. I mean, all of that is on know. like the right track. I think like the biological warfare comparison is really really good and you know um and that's something that you know was present in world war ii but is even more present now you know so i think 
that's a oh, yeah. button chemical that's being weapons pushed in Syria yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, it's very modern modern times. Yeah, so that's um, a button that's sort of being pushed, even though it's not explicit. You know, they don't explicitly invoke that in the episode, but that's sort of what they're invoking there. Yeah, well, and and the fact that you don't know who's doing it or why. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's you know. DNA again. DNA being rewritten by an idiot yeah. is the idiot a? Is it really can, an idiot? Does it, yeah. Are they are they malicious yeah. or just incompetent? And which which of those things is a better outcome? Right. In the long run, right. or or are they equally as bad? Right. Um. Anyway, so I don't. I mean, I guess it, it's hard to continue on talking about <laughs> all that without knowing what's going to happen next. And, yeah. Yeah. So maybe we should move on to some of the characters and, and technology. Yeah. Um, defi- definitely. So if we do that. Yes. Then, go for it. Um, I mean, Jack. Mm-hmm. So this guy, smooth talker, mm-hmm. um, posing as an American. So are we are we meant to believe like that he actually is an American or that he just has an American accent for this particular Right. So thing? I don't know whether um, they say this explicitly in the episode or not but he is from the future so sure so i think he's meant to be american i mean i don't see why not or at least has an american accent um or at least he's he's actually from the 51st century so whether america is still a thing at that point uh who can say but um right right but you know the accent isn't he's not going to suddenly switch over to you know, something else. And it's not, you know, the way he's acting isn't an act that he's putting on, but, mm-hmm. but he's, he is from the 51st century and he's a time agent. So he's human. He's not a time Lord, but he's from a future in which humanity has figured out. Well, he's a freelancer. Anyway. And, and, and they've figured out a sort of, a sort of version of time travel, you know, okay. whether I don't think, we're meant to understand that their powers of time travel are quite as fluid or advanced as the doctors, but um, he's got this little wristband and, you know, so I don't know that we ever really find out exactly what the point of time agents are. I mean, presumably yeah. they're sent, you know, to various periods on missions of some sort and he's gone rogue from the time agency and started freelancing yeah yeah okay so and and that yeah i don't i mean i didn't want to ask too many questions um yeah and i don't know that the time agents ever become particularly clear well yeah but that was definitely one of my like i mean clearly it's different from time lord like he's he's a human yes and not a time lord like the doctor yeah um and and yeah this whole time agent time agency mm-hmm. uh stuff i mean just intriguing i guess that sort of wetting the whistle of the idea that there are other time travelers mm-hmm. um yeah i don't i mean so okay I, but he's got a lot of cool tech yeah clearly um very spock. psychic psychic pay yeah very spock Psychic paper, nanobots, tractor beam, cloaking mm-hmm. spaceship, a sort of a version of a sonic screwdriver or something similar yeah. to a sonic screwdriver. Um, 
Yeah, it's very, very cool, very impressive. Certainly Rose is impressed by it all. Yeah. Um, and what, I mean, does she, can she like go an episode <laughs> without being impressed by some guy? I, I know, I know. Um, yeah, well, we've had Mickey, we've had the doctor, we've had Adam, and now it's Jack. Yeah. And she's available, according to the psychic theory. <laughs> she's available, yeah. yes. She has a boyfriend and is available. Yep, she has a, bo- a, sort, a boyfriend a, and this guy that she travels with, but she's available. Yeah, you know, you know, it's like a sailor of old. Yeah, <laughs> or perhaps not so old. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, yeah. So yes, she's clearly intrigued by all this stuff that he has. I I don't know. I mean, I feel like Jack is or will become significant at some point, but like. We still don't know a lot about him other than that he's this freelancer, time-traveling guy who's attempting to con mm-hmm. them out of money. It's not really with, a great con man. With with space junk. Yeah, no, he kind of gives himself up yeah. right away. He's like, I mean, the the moment there's a hint of danger, he's like, no, 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 I was just trying to con you. I'm, let me out, you know, like. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Not the hardest, not the hardest criminal there ever was. He's he's just looking for a quick buck. Yeah. Um, well, and, th- and that's funny because he says, "Well, I like to think of myself as a criminal." I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I bet you do. Or, or I don't remember the exact wording there, but yeah. Um, well, and I think it's kind of interesting the way that he's being set up as a contrast to the doctor. You know, because you know the the episode starts and Rose is giving the doctor kind of a hard time. You know, she's kind of complaining about the way he's doing things and you know could you know why can't you do the high tech stuff give me some spock Mm. would it kill you and it seems to me that his novelty is wearing off a little bit you know so she's starting to find fault uh and then we get uh jack who is just romantic in every way that the doctor isn't so you know he looks heroic you know he looks handsome the the script they said in the commentary the script specified that he had to have a hollywood smile um and and i I was wondering like is he truly romantic or is he just trying to play up the con angle like is is he right you know how how much of that is him just trying to seduce some money out of her well exactly actually seduce her you know yeah so i think some of that is him i mean the way he looks, his smoothness, you know, I think is, mm-hmm. you know, innate to him. But obviously at the same time, it's all, you know, him kind of, he he has an ulterior motive that he's trying to get something out of her. Um, right. But, you know, but even just, I mean, there's the, there's the deliberate, you know, callbacks of, I'm going to scan for alien tech. Um and then <laughs> finally a professional, finally a professional, um, you know, she says to the doctor, give me some Spock, would it kill you? And then, you know, very Spock when he, when Jack does his high tech stuff. Um, and then, you know, his kind of classically Hollywood good looks contrasted with the doctor who gets his goofiness pointed out to him by Nancy uh, when he says, my nose has, you know, I, my, I followed you by my, my nose. My nose has special powers. And she says, is that why it's so? <laughs> Do your ears have special powers too? So we're being, yeah. we're, it's being drawn to our attention that the doctor is right. funny looking. Um, yeah. Versus yeah, 
Jack. So, um, you know, and, and his high-tech cloaked spaceship against the TARDIS, which he calls antique, you know, or the or retro or something. He said, like, I like the retro yeah. look or something. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting contrast for the two. Um, right, right. It's not a compliment, the retro look. The no, I don't think so. Not, 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 I don't think we're meant to take it as one. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and that's, that is definitely, um, some interesting comparisons. Um, I picked up on some of that. Um, but then, you know, and I was just thinking, okay, so what do we do with that? And, and again, we don't have the second part yet. So part of that is just going to have to, you know, hold until next time. But, um, I think part of the point has to do with what you're saying, like how much of Jack's, you know, attractiveness is just a put on. And the fact that all of that is superficial. Yeah. Um, and then he turns out to be a crook. Whereas the goofy retro, you know, kind of silly doctor is the one who really, at the end of the day, you want with you when the monsters come calling. So, right. you know, kind of, you know, a little bit of a sense of, you know, appearances being a little bit deceiving and, um, and Rose having to kind of stop herself from just going with what superficially looks heroic or attractive or romantic. Yeah. Well, and, and we certainly get that sense. I mean, obviously we know the doctor's been around 900 years. Jack is probably exactly the sort of age he looks, right, exactly. you know, like he, right, yeah. he, you know, he's, 20s maybe you know at some point maybe early 30s mm -hmm. but like um yeah he's not been around long he he's he's out of his depth he's he's kind of got all these flashy tools and stuff but you know he has to park his ship near a big iconic landmark so that he remembers he where it is it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know like like that's like and he says that you know he plays it off oh well the first rule of driving a camouflage ship it's like I don't think the doctor ever would forget where he no. the TARDIS. You know what I mean? No. Like it, it wouldn't matter. Um, yeah. And not just because it sticks out like a blue thumb, you know, wherever he goes, but right. you know, because it actually like, he knows, he knows yeah. how to, you know, make those sorts of observations. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and, and going back to kind of what you're talking about, Rose, like, and her just, not disillusionment, I guess, but, but kind of like what was once not that long ago, you know, unique and exciting is now sort of coming before, uh, becoming more mundane. Um, I mean, you definitely get that sense right from the start of the episode. She feels completely comfortable just going off on her own. Like she doesn't mm -hmm. even wait for the doctor to no. follow her. She says, Oh, you know, there's a kid up there. I'm going to go save him. Yeah. Like I, like suddenly she's now like, Whereas we got with, um, uh, 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 you know, a couple episodes when, when she stepped out of the TARDIS and was like asking the doctor questions so she could impress Adam, yeah. you know, like, like there, she clearly didn't know, you know, really what was what yet. And, and she knew that she didn't know, like she knew she still needed to rely on the doctor. Now she's like, Oh, we're in London. I don't even care what year it is. I don't care what's going on, yeah. you know, around me. Like not even going to stop to, to kind of assess things. I'm just going to, I'm going to go save that kid on top of the roof has no idea what the context sort of is around it or yeah. anything. And, you know, winds up <laughs> floating on a balloon <laughs> in the middle of an air raid. Um, 
Yeah. Just like, but, but clearly she feels comfortable just kind of going off by herself and, and doesn't like, I mean, she sort of feels herself in danger, but I mean, for the most part, she's comfortable even after that experience. Like, you you know, even when she kind of should be maybe a little more uh, asking a few more questions about. Right. Or worried um, about. I'm separated from the doctor. Where did he get to? Yeah. 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 All that kind of stuff. And like, she clearly has no idea how, how to find the doctor. I mean, she, she says it almost explicitly like, Oh, you know, how, how are you going to find my companion? Well, and that's the other point is, you know, (laughs) I agree with you that she's more independent this time, but like the episode with Adam, again, she pretends to know more than she does to impress the guy, you know, that well, she yeah, yeah. acts like she's in charge and the doctor, she calls him her companion and that she right. delegates to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and gives him, yeah, a made-up name, obviously, of Spock, of Spock who yeah. is, you know, a second-in-command individual in, in, you know, of the Enterprise. Yeah. He's not right, the exactly. captain. He's, he's, he's the and, science and officer the alien. and the first, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, and I wanted to point out too that so we get a couple aliases this time for the doctor, one being Spock, and uh, that hilarious. What was I supposed to say? You don't have a name, um, but the, yeah. the the specific invocation of the title. Mm-hmm. You know, don't you yep. get tired of Doctor Doctor Who? And they do that occasionally. Moffat in particular likes to do that, but but other writers will too. Um, well, and we got that in the first episode with. Clive's website. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other one, I forget at what point he uses this, but he calls himself John Smith, um, which is the sort of absolutely okay. normal, you right. know, sort of innocuous human name, you know, and uh, it, that's been his go-to alias since the classic series. I think this is the first time he's used it that we've seen, but whenever okay. he needs a human alias, it's always John Smith. Yeah, sure. So, sure. You know, not terribly important, but um, but something to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. Where does he say that? I I didn't pick up. On I the forget. John Smith I just put reference. it in my notes that he does. Um, but now I don't remember. Maybe with okay. um, maybe with the other doctor, or with yeah, it could Nancy, be I... one or the other. Um, okay. At some point okay. when he doesn't want to give. Yeah, his you're name right. Because the doctor. There are. I mean. Jack, Nancy, the other doctor, all um, do ask or or at least seem to imply that they want to know his name at some point or mm-hmm. other. So, right, and and sometimes he'll say he's just the doctor, and then other times, for whatever reason, he decides that it's better to use a human, a simple human name that's not going to invite too many questions. Right, right. Yeah, he, the the other doctor particularly asked him like three times, like, it's like, wait, yeah. by the way, what is your name? Yeah. You know, oh, you haven't told me your name yet. Yeah. It's, it, it, it becomes very much like he can't just blow it off in the way that he normally does, you know, try to, uh, try to do so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I, it, well, and, and. I guess going back to sort of the comparison between Jack and the doctor too, like the tech, obviously, um, you know, the psychic paper and stuff like 
yeah, there's a distinct difference there. Like you've got this TARDIS that looks like a phone box, but doesn't even have a working phone. Like it's, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, and he says in 900 years, the phone box traveled. That's the one thing that surprises me. Um, and then the phone rings. It's like, oh, well, there's another thing. Yeah. I guess that's surprising. <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, okay. The, the, the phone's not ringing. Yeah. Uh, this is not what should be happening here. Um, well, and about the psychic paper too, the fact that it's not foolproof, that you have to keep your mind focused, that you can't let yeah. it, you can't <laughs> let it, it's not, you can't let it wander or, you know, or it's going to say things that you don't want it to say. Well, and I was wondering about that. That's a good point because I, I was wondering how much Jack really was trying to keep that you know was he trying to keep it a secret or did he want rose to know and sure uh, you, you right know, that's like all part of, of the seduction is, yeah 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 how much oops oops oh you found out yeah oh what i was really exactly, thinking yep. like is this um yeah so you know i mean there's some of that and then and then his passing it to her which the doctor never gives up the psychic paper that i know of yet at least at mm-hmm. this point um you know by passing it to her he's he's you know, it's it's a sleight of hand in a way. You know, he's gathering information from Rose. Yeah. Jack is, um, you know, by passing it to her and then having her hand it back. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, some interesting stuff there. But then, uh, of course, the inside of the ship that he's in seems decidedly cramped. It's certainly not yeah. bigger on the inside. No, <laughs> than yeah, on the yeah, you can hardly like stand um, up inside. Yeah, so it's, you know, there's some differences there to just kind of. In the idea that again, the doctor, although he may not look as slick and 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 act as slick, like he he certainly does in the long run at least have better knowledge and and better use of the tools that he does have. It seems at well, least at this point. That's I hadn't thought of that, but the spaceships as kind of symbols of their characters. So Jack's looks very flash, you know, but inside yeah. it's sort of. <laughs> Not, I mean, it's high tech and, but, but like you said, not super impressive. It's sort of cramped and, yeah. uh, whereas the doctor's TARDIS looks retro and looks beat up and old and doesn't look like much, but look what it looks like on the inside. Yeah. Look what it can can do, do. you know, um, you know, and that's kind of works very well with how they're contrasted, the characters in the episode. Um, yeah, well, the other thing I just wanted to draw attention to, because I think they do, um, crop up again occasionally from time to time, is, uh, the nanogenes, too, is the, the little subatomic robots that heal, uh, Mm -hmm. the rope burns on Rose's hands. Um, so the first time that those are sort of being pointed out. Okay, yeah. So I, I guess I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of struggling here because there's, I mean, without, I haven't seen the other episodes, so like, mm-hmm. I don't know what else is, is kind of significant at this point yeah. to, to talk through. Um, the um, only other thing I would point out is, is, you know, the universal color for danger uh-huh. being mauve. <laughs> Just mauve, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that was very funny. Yeah. Um, um well, I guess the only other thing I kind of want to make mention of is, you know, there's a couple 
subtle little references um, in the episode in terms of the Doctor's character to the people that he's lost in the Time War. Um, and, oh, okay. and indeed some family, perhaps, because, um, you know, the way he says to Nancy that, you know, who did you lose the way you look after the kids? You know, this must sure. be sort of penance for something. Um, and, you know, we know that the doctor's lost people, and he does have this habit of picking up young Earth people and sort of looking after them. So, you know, I kind of thought that was a little bit of a parallel, too, with sort of the way that he views his companions as sort of some sort of redemptive act for either just in consolation for the people he's lost or maybe even as a type of penance as well. Um, mm. And then uh, Dr. Constantine says something about before this war, I was a husband and a father. Now I'm neither. I'm just a doctor. And the doctor says, yeah, I know the feeling. So, um, mm. again, another just little slight subtle reference to the recent history. So... Yeah, and that's interesting. I do remember that now that you point that out, but I didn't I didn't pick that up as a significant like I didn't like so are are you suggesting that the doctor was also a husband and father at one point or or may have been? Well, um or or I and and if that's I mean if you don't want to reveal one way or the other, I mean that I guess well, I guess I, that's sort of I can it, I, I both can and can't reveal because um I have no idea about the husband or okay. the father. What we do know is that the first doctor in 1963 traveled with a young lady who he referred to as his granddaughter. Um, and so whether that was a biological relationship, I think it was certainly implied then that it was, whether or not that's actually, I mean, right. who's to say what's canon or you know, whether it was just an explanation of why an older man is traveling with a younger woman. Who knows? So, right. I mean, I think I think at the time it was meant to be his granddaughter. And I think generally it's accepted as canon that that really was his granddaughter. That she was hmm. a time lady. Um, and who was, when they first started the show, it was the old grandfatherly doctor. His young granddaughter, who was also a time lady. And she was posing as a student in Britain in school, and the first companions are her teachers. Um, it was this okay. man and woman who taught at the school where she went, and they hopped on board the TARDIS one day, and the doctor took off kind of without asking permission, and that's the start of the show. Um, wow. So, you know, and eventually those companions leave and you get new people and everything, but so we don't ever really know what happened to the granddaughter or if she was his granddaughter so or even if yeah, yeah, yeah so i mean if she was that kind of implies that there was maybe a wife or a lover maybe kids maybe who knows but um so i i think that's what it's referring to but again mm. the canon is not that defined so okay. um it's hard for anybody to say exactly how literal any of that really is. Um, but I think um, what, at the very least, what they're confirming is that 
he's lost family as well as right. his whole race, which makes right. sense. Right. You know, exactly oh, yeah. exactly what made up his family, I guess we don't know. Um, gotcha. So just thought that's... And, and, and I can say that because if you're watching, you know, if anybody went up and looked up the classic stories and mythology it's right there to see you know that's not a spoiler that's the history of the show um right right so you know one of the first things we know about the character is that he's got this granddaughter so it's kind of an interesting little or, reference yeah someone he's calling or his someone he's anyway. calling his granddaughter so yeah oh that's interesting yeah so um hmm. Hmm. yeah i guess We'll have to see if we can... So, and like I said, I don't really know the answers to those questions. They never really, even at this point, um, I don't know what how for real any of that is, but but they do make sort of failed references to it occasionally. Yeah. So it's worth kind of explaining, you know, what the story was in the classic series. And it's okay. kind of a weird reminder of how old he is. You know? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you certainly don't think of him as a potential grandfather, grandfather or whatever, you know, based on his looks. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's there's all sorts of things you don't sort of think about all the time with his character. Yeah. Like, you kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to watch the next episode and talk about that next week. Yeah. Cause I, <laughs> I want to know more. <laughs> I'm going to go watch it like right as soon as we're done. Are you? <laughs> probably. I, no, I may not, but anyway, no, you're we'll see. I guess, um, I guess we kind of have to go turn to Buffy. Now. <laughs> um, so go ahead. You can start. <laughs> so, you know, it's been my MO this past couple weeks to start with sort of the metaphor of the week because that's what we generally get and it's a nice segue into the point of each episode and you know it's a great way to kick off the discussion I don't know that there is one for this week um which isn't necessarily a bad thing I love a great um weird episode one that just you know, that happens occasionally in Doctor Who where you get one where it's like, this is just unlike any other episode and it tries to break the mold and do something different and not do the general pattern. So yeah, I'm, yeah, sure. I am on board with that. Um, so I'm not complaining that there's no metaphor. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what is going on in this episode. Um, <laughs> I, it is just so... It, it, I mean, it's not just the randomness. It's just that I don't. I, it, it's just messed up. It, yeah. it freaked me out. Not in kind of the good freak out of the empty child of like a good healthy scare kind of. It freaked me out. Like, what am I watching? And yeah, yeah. And you know, creepy in a bad way. You know, and I think they tried to go for creepy. And and this is a great contrast to the empty child because. I think they're trying sure. to do that mix of the creepiness and the humor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think this is just one one time where that did not click. Um, the pieces didn't really fit together. And it creeped me out in the wrong ways. And 
didn't make me laugh in the right places. Um, yeah. Well, and and yeah. So with the with the whole uh, the pu- the puppet that is, you know. Well, you're not sure if it's demonic and it turns out not to be, but whatever. Like, I mean, they're totally going for that creepy sort of Chucky child's yeah. play, uh-huh. you know, feel with it. But then, you know, it, there's this whole like body, you know, horny demon yeah. in, infested uh, puppet thing that that's going on. That it, it's kind of weird. Like they, they tried to sort of surpass it or, or, you know, they tried to do the whole like, wink wink we're acknowledging it by having buffy point out you know yeah. how how stupid the humor of of this horny puppet thing is but then like it's like the commenting on it it goes the total opposite way of of i think where they meant it to do whereas they meant it to be sort of like a commentary and and to, you know to sort of deconstruct the whole thing it's like yeah. no you're just pointing out where it doesn't work <laughs> like you're you're emphasizing even more the parts that are kind of dumb about this yeah episode. pointing out um, that it's not funny <laughs> to, to to step away from the actual uh uh episode the narrative itself i will point out that this is the lowest rated from a Nielsen perspective, the lowest rated episode in the entire series of Buffy, um, which means it was the least watched, um, you know, and I'm never sure how, how much importance to place on that, because how can you know what episodes are going to be good before you watch them? So I don't know. Commercials, I guess, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, you you know, that I guess that's an advertising thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, but it's also generally accepted that this one, and actually, the, along with the last episode, um, you know, I wrote about Eugene, which which I actually found, uh, I liked it more after we kind of did our analysis of it and, and kind of talked through, especially some of the stuff about Moloch oh, and all stuff of that. Oh, Moloch, right. Um, you, you know, between the, these two episodes, though, they're they're kind of considered a low point <laughs> uh-huh. um, in this in the series and in the season. Um, you know, they're they're not the greatest episodes, which, you know, could be good news insofar as, sure. as you consider that it's, it's We're getting them out of the here. way early. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, um, definitely some awkwardness and, and definitely, you know, like, I don't think that you're wrong to have picked that out. <laughs> you know, the randomness, the, the sort of the stuff that didn't work in here. Um, I think that that's sort of generally acknowledged about this episode in particular. And, and these last two, although I, I think I would sort of disagree. I, I think a lot of people even think that the previous one um, was worse than this one, but oh, or at least I di- that, yeah, I disagree. A, a, yeah. According to some of the commentary that I've seen anyway, that seems to be the case. Um, but I, I definitely think this one is, is more awkward and, and yeah. has less of, um, certainly like you said i i couldn't pick out any sort of metaphor here either i was trying to think about like you know something with stage fright or performance anxiety yeah you know like and it just was like not performance anxiety wow that's not in the way that term is usually used but anyway (laughs) um the the, yeah the uh the idea of a metaphor with this one i think you just have to jettison and and just go with the flow on it so anyway yeah well so what, and like but, i said that's 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 okay you know i'm not i yeah. wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily knock it for that i think um 
I, I mean, I can't quite put my finger on it, but, you know, I said to you earlier that I looked up uh, the actor who voiced Sid on IMDb, yeah. and he's a voice actor. That's what he does, is do voices mm -hmm. for animation and video games and things and commercials and things like that. And, you know, I just have to say, like, man, I, that was, he was the weak link for me. That, that, the voice performance just did not, just didn't work at all. The humor yeah. just didn't, wasn't in the right places. It was just, you know, uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the most part, I, I agree with you. Um, now, there, you know, I don't want to bash too much on it because um, I do think there was some good stuff from a character interaction, if, if we don't count Sid. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, from a character interaction between um, Buffy and Xander and Willow and, and even Giles and, and Cordelia um, kind of getting in there with her usual well, uh, self-centered uh, you know, stuff. And even with Sid. So I don't like his vocal performance. Um, okay. But, and I don't like the horny dummy shtick in general. Other than like they could have stopped at one reference and kind of left it, but the fact that they kept coming back to it and everything. But, um, yeah. but I didn't totally dislike everything, every aspect, you know, because, you know, the, the possessed dummy thing can be creepy when it's done well, you know, like Chucky. Um, and the voice definitely evokes that kind of, you know, character, you know, this kind of gruff, uncultured man, you know, with a rough accent and everything, like, rather than being a little yeah. child's voice or something. Um, he reminded me of Mr. Marvel's, too, from Seinfeld, when he was in <laughs> Buffy's room at night. I thought she was going to peek over the covers and say, Mr. Marvel's? Um, but, well, and, and, yeah, Xander even makes the cat references, right? right you know, he pounced on me like yeah, a cat. like a cat. It, went out the, went window, out the window like a cat. Like a cat. Um, <laughs> so, like, I think that's not... That's a fruitful, you know, possessed toys can be a very creepy idea. Um, yeah, sure. So, and um, and I thought there were some kind of interesting um, fairy tale things that... I guess what I feel like is I wish they'd done more with stuff like this. Like, I wish they'd done more with the child's play toy aspect or the fairy tale things. Like, they kind of flirt with the idea of the frog prince. Um that is he going to turn back and Buffy says, like, you're not really a prince, are you? Like, you know, right. when, when you break right. the curse, are you going to, you know, become human? Um, and then, you know, it turns out to be the demon that's saying this, but the episode starts with the demon saying, I will be flesh, which when you put that with the dummy, I immediately thought of Pinocchio um, mm -hmm. wanting to yeah. be a real boy and everything. So I kind of... <laughs> Hence the episode title. Hence the episode title. So uh, I kind of, I think those are all interesting ideas, and I'm sorry that they didn't do more yeah. with that, because I think there's well, material there. Well, and, and, and I agree with you on all of that, and I would extend it even further to say that I think they could have done more with Morgan's character, because what, one, of the, one of the big things that I come away confused with each time and and this isn't the first time i've thought this watching this episode but each time i watch it i come i come across i have no idea how morgan and sid became yeah came together I, I, like i realized that too i watched it once and i thought did i just like tune out whenever they yeah. made that explanation and i watched it again and they still don't 
they don't. You, you get one hint. Mar Morgan um, says something early... about it sounds like my father. Yeah, that he bases the voice on his father. Yeah. But so, but then you, but then you find out that, um, you know, Sid was alive in the thirties right, and so apparently a demon hunter at that point. So not there's his no way. Father. Yeah, there's no way he could have been. Yeah. Morgan's father, and and you, there's no. So, and I think just in general with Morgan's character, you find out he's a really smart kid whose health has been going downhill because apparently he has brain cancer <laughs> and, and, and like all this stuff, it's like this reveal, but it's like just sort of, oh yeah, oh, he had brain cancer. He was out half the year. Yeah. That doesn't come up till like three quarters into the episode. Yeah. Like they didn't like, notice he missed half the year of school. Well, and, and what, I, you know, I mean, maybe they weren't good friends with him or whatever, but like. Everyone seems to know who he is. Like these random people that they're talking to. Oh, it was that weird smart kid who's always banging his hand with his head. And it's like, okay, you could like there was a total lack of metaphor. You could have done something with that. Yeah. Like you could have done something with like you know what are the fears of someone who's terminally ill yeah. and 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 who yeah is or trying something to live with out a normal life some and, some, and, some sort of and, organ transplant thing of needing yeah, yeah 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 considering considering that there's a whole right the whole episode is about taking failing organs and, and yeah and taking them from other so, people so so I think I think sort of the disappointment for me is is kind of like you were saying like it's. Wasted. They could have gone a different way with, yeah. with Sid, but but I yeah. think Wasted there potential. was just so much opportunity yeah. to do more with with some of these, you know, the metaphoric ideas and 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 sort of make it gel a little better. Um, but you know, they yeah. didn't. So I guess I guess let's stop complaining <laughs> about what it what what, what it, it could have been, been. <laughs> and 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 talk a little bit about some of the high points because I I think there are some and and we can find a few. Um, one, I like kind of you were saying with with the creepiness of the dummy, I think they did do a good job of sort of keeping you guessing as to who the real um, well, killer was. They did. And it was the second time in a row. Actually, I don't think we talked about this last time, but I meant to was the reveal of when you think when when Giles uh, goes to Jenny for a uh, calendar for help and she says. He says, "There's oh, you're never going to believe this, but there's demon in the internet. And she just says, I know. And you think in that moment, <laughs> yeah. because yep. up until this point, every time we've got a character that's surprisingly in the know, it's because they're with the bad guy. Um, but that turns out to be another twist. Well, because, except for Angel. Angel's in the Except know. for Angel, yeah. Yeah, but, but usually it's a reveal to the, reveal the surprise villain. Right, Whereas, right, right. Um, that time it was it seemed that way but then it turns out oh she's in the know but she's going to help um right. and this is the second time in a row that they've pulled that same trick of you think it's a reveal i mean it doesn't it's not really a reveal you think it's the dummy all along but you think she's finally well, exposed him and then it turns out he's on their side except that well you, I, I wouldn't say well maybe you thought it was the dummy the whole time there was some question about whether it was Morgan. Sure. And certainly, certainly there's some hints that way. I, and I think they also do a good job of, of, of at least making you wonder, well, no, maybe they are trying to trick us. Maybe it's actually principal Snyder. Yeah. Yeah. And, I definitely and, was hook, line I, I, and sinker. With I that mean, one. even if he's not your primary um, suspect, yeah. you know, all along, I at least think there's, there's definitely 
a couple of points where where you wonder, especially the two times where he catches Buffy alone. Yeah. Um, first at the locker. Yeah. And then um, later, oh my! Th- there's just that great visual moment where he's, he's just like lights there. behind yeah. him. Yeah, the lights behind him, yeah. and you get the his pointy ears like yeah. the doctor yeah. kind of sticking out and they're kind of translucent almost looking like devil's yeah. horns yeah. you know <laughs> like there's these, yeah and he just I, kind of looks at her and then wanders away and i think yeah for that because they don't ever have a moment where oh buffy reveals him to be the bad guy but then twist he's not really because they just leave it and he's mm-hmm. and that's never really confronted yeah. i'm still not sure about this guy and i still well, feel like that's an unsettled question. And I and I think I think the introduction of Principal Snyder here is is, is one of the bigger, better points of the episode. Plot points, because yeah. I, I, I think they do a great job. You know, one, I mean, there's the clear and pretty explicit contrast so with the last principal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite my favorite line um, in the whole episode is is where he's talking about you know how kids need discipline and he kids goes, are humans. You know, I, I I I know Principal Flutie would have said kids need understanding. Yeah, kids are human beings. That's the kind of woolly headed liberal thinking that leads to being eaten. You know, I mean, it just it's just great. Like, I mean, th- this guy is no nonsense or whatever. Yeah. Well, but, and earlier he says almost the same thing. He's, he's like, he like I know I I forget what he says. I know Flutie thought that, but he was eaten. And like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's very concerned about being eaten, and that's clearly well, the job risk that he is signed up for. And and not just that, but he he seems to know, in in the way that all sort of fanatical, whatever wing yeah. <laughs> type people know what the, the what the correct answer is, yeah. and and you know we get Giles' reference yeah. to our new Fuhrer, yeah. and and and. Um, you know, he, he talks about keeping an eye on Buffy and, and the others. Um, you know, there's something going on with you. I'll figure it out sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, it's interesting because I think I think on the one hand, we can see him totally as as the kind of guy who, yeah, I mean, clearly he's a no nonsense. You know, I don't put up with any of your kid crap um, kind of person. But you can certainly also see him as the kind of guy who who isn't stopping there at just not putting up with nonsense, oh, yeah, but is yeah. actively stopping. Well, and it's not just you, no you know. nonsense because okay, I'm. It's not no nonsense in a caring way that I'm responsible for your safety, and so I'm going to be strict for your own good. There's yeah, there's something more sinister about it, and you know, he has lines about you know kids i don't like them like this is like this is <laughs> like he's yeah. like the professor umbridge if i can use a harry potter like the <laughs> educational reformer who hates kids and yeah. we've all had teachers like that who you feel like you you hate children why are you a teacher you know like that mm-hmm. that they're more concerned with the educational reform than they are it's not because they care for children that you know right. but because they're trying to you know, fix whatever the problems of the previous administration were or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, it's yeah, it's because the last guy wasn't disciplined enough or, or didn't institute enough yeah. you know, rules and regulations. Um, you know, and and you get a very different sense, you know, kind of going on my ongoing levels of knowledge, you know, sort of idea. You you get a different sense from him definitely. Like he he's not clueless in the way that Flutie was like, he sees the patterns in the deaths 
um, yeah. that are going on. He, he, he knows there's something not quite right in Sunnydale and, and, and you, but you don't really ever get a sense of how much he suspects is really going on. He, he gives Buffy a warning and he yeah. says, there's some, something going on with you. I'll figure it out. But you don't know what his kind of true thoughts are at right. that point. Like it, it, you know, how much does he really know? Right. Well, and is it just like, oh, you could skip class and that's why I'm singling you out? Or is it something more, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, what else might he have noticed that might lead him to want to keep an eye on Buffy? Right. Right. Yeah. That's Principal Snyder. Principal Snyder. Great great guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So anyway, so the the yeah, I think I think his introduction is is one of the highlights of the episode. I also I got to say, I love the 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 stuff with Cordelia. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> um she you know, I mean just the opening with her singing is yeah. so bad and just so horrible yeah. and um, And she you and know, she her... knows that it's sappy and that that's the you know. Yeah. She's I mean, I think she's under delusion that she's talented, but she's under no delusion that this is sappy and I'm trying to milk it for everything it's worth. And Oh, yeah. 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 She, no, she, she knows exactly what she's going for, yeah. whether or not she's capable of doing it. Yeah. But yeah. And then, of course, you know, when it, Xander's interviewing yeah. her, uh, it was such a tragedy for me. For Emma me. was my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, her name's not Emma. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she's... Yeah, all I, all I can think of is it could have been me. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, anything yeah, so. that happens in the school is is only, you know, dangerous or affecting as so far as it impacts her safety and her well-being and her comfort and, yeah, yeah totally self-centered. Um, just a couple of other points of humor. Um the the whole the dancer band rivalry mm-hmm. that cracked me up just the idea that there's a rivalry between dancers and the band i don't know that's funny um but then the <laughs> the i saw a dummy once and it made me wig yeah. there wasn't really a story yeah. there <laughs> it's just like oh okay well let's move on um let's see yeah so, a couple so, a couple funny pop culture references too um uh xander uh, quotes The Shining uh, yeah. with Red Rum, <laughs> which was funny and also very appropriate considering Red Rum is murder spelled backwards. So, you right. know, oh, yeah. kind of a nice horror tradition he's, you know, invoking there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he <laughs> says something about the usual suspects too. Does anyone else feel like they've been Kaiser so Yes. Right, right. When he suspects that the dummy is... Not in fact a good guy. After they've, you know, after he's told them the story and es- escaped or not escaped really, but like gone off on his own and they don't know where he is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I like the whole end scene too of their their dramatic reading. I I thought it was funny too how um, you know, they're saying like, well, we can do a dramatic reading. It doesn't require talent. It's funny to hear actors say this because, like, you don't yes. need talent to be an actor. You just say the say the lines, and you're fine. 
Um, yeah, uh, and it's it's funny. So there is a brief um, commentary with Joss Whedon on the DVDs for this, and and he does say that that's like one of the scenes that they just they had to take more takes because everyone was just laughing yeah. like throughout that entire mock Oedipus uh, yeah. scene that they do. Like they just had to do it over and over. Um, yeah, no, that's great. It's yeah. good stuff. And, Xander's, and, well, and, Sanders kind of Caesar haircut. Uh, Willow just <laughs> freezing and running off, and yeah, then yeah, and then yeah. Xander and Buffy kind of make this American Gothic sort of pose at the end, like they just sort of snap together in this like awkward pose. Yeah. yeah. Well, and just just the idea of the the performance in general. Um, you know, Buffy doesn't want her mom to come. She's like, wait, yeah. no, you're gonna actually come and and see it. Yeah. Like, no, that if you love me, you won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um. The whole the whole fight scene with with the demon at the end, right, and then right. you turn and you see like the audience is watching all of this, <laughs> and it's like yeah, it's like a beheaded demon, a dead I dummy know. doll. They're all just standing there, and is it avant garde? I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> Hilarious, yeah. great stuff. See, so so there is some redeeming qualities. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and and I think I, I was, and maybe a little more seriously or or you know um at least at least to kind of point out a couple of things that that I think could be easy to sort of pass over we do get a few um tidbits of of the mythological stuff the the ongoing um mythology here one um we get a couple tidbits about the slayers uh just mm-hmm. in general that um first of all we get i i think the first reference to an actual specific slayer other than Buffy. Um, and yes, it's a horrible reference and it's, it's demeaning and from horny Sid. Um, but he says, I knew us later in the thirties, Korean chick, you know, yeah. kind of goes on with that. <laughs> um, but, but I think if we can look past the, 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 you know, crappy delivery of it, um, it does at least give us, you know, this, this idea again, that, you know, Buffy is part of a longer line, you know, part of a longer tradition. She's not, um, you know, it's not like, it's just her here and now, but, but this is an ongoing, um, duty that has been performed. But then also Sid says, you know, Hey, don't, don't grieve for me. I've, you know, I've lived a long life. I've lived longer than most demon hunters. And, you know, by the way, slayers don't have very long lives either. Right. Um, so, so you know, again, just this sort of reinforcement that it is a very dangerous line of work, and 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 it is something that um, has a history to it, even though we don't yet know quite a lot about that history. Yeah, and Buffy's um, sort of being told or reminded that you know, I mean, I'm sure she knows that it's dangerous, but. Um, uh, people in her position have a short life expectancy. Yeah. 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 And who knows where we go with that at this point. So, um, the other thing too, is just by Sid's very existence and, and sort of, I mean, the acknowledgement that there are other demon hunters, um, mm-hmm. even though they may not live very long. Um, just the idea that, that, okay. So not only is Buffy part of a larger, you know, history of slayers, but that there are other entities out there fighting against these sort of powers of evil. So she's not wholly alone. And and we kind of got that from Angel, but Angel's 
unique, right? I mean, he's a vampire who's apparently not quite an evil one, or at least as evil as, um, you know, other vampires anyway, at this point, we, we still don't know a lot about him, but, um, you know, there, there do seem to be other good guys, um, who are actively fighting. They're not just like Giles, you know, (laughs) and watching or like, um, uh, you know, Xander and Willow even who, who kind of stumbled into all of this and, and are there kind of out of their friendship for Buffy. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing some of this stuff that they're doing. Um, but that there are actively, you know, individuals or possibly even groups of, of people out there fighting. So there, you know, that does throw into contrast the whole, um, again, the whole sort of levels of knowledge thing. Like there, there are other indoctrinated, so to speak, people, um, Mm -hmm. you you know, fighting the good fight as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, what, one of the other, so just sort of on that topic, I guess one of the other aspects that didn't work for me though, is, is the idea that Sid would come to Sunnydale following this, you know, last of this seven brotherhood of demons and not know that Buffy was there. If he is such so in the know and has mm-hmm. been in the know for so long and knew Slayers, it seems to me like if he was truly a demon hunter, like he would he would have had some idea that um you know, there would be a slayer in Sunnydale and, and would know about the Hellmouth and that kind of stuff. Like right. it, it just seemed like that he was more clueless in that regard than than maybe he should have been. Yeah. Uh you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, well, one of the things that also was in this episode that I thought, well, you kind of touched on this earlier, but maybe I'll talk about this a little bit too, that the suggestion that it might not even have been a demon, that it might have just been a human person acting out of human issues rather than anything demonic or magical. Um, which is an equally plausible, uh, explanation and they seem more creeped out by that because, you know, a demon is, like they said, pure evil. So that doesn't excuse the evil. I mean, clearly that has to be stopped. But um, but what else do you expect a demon to do other than to kill people, right? But with, right. with people, um, there is something redemptive and human, you know, and people do monstrous acts like this all the time so the prospect that you're dealing with a person who's you know got to the point where they can commit an act like this is in a way more horrific um Mm. because it's something that's born out of choice or you know or insanity or you know rage or whatever um right so so that was kind of up until the point where we found out, oh no, it actually is like, that was kind of a unsettling thought. Um, but again, it's Buffy seeing the truth of the situation where everyone else, I have to say Giles, Willow, Xander, with everything they've seen, they're very quick to dismiss Buffy when she says, no, this, you know, says demon to me, something about the situation. And again, yeah. episode after episode, it's Buffy having to say, seriously, guys, listen to me. I have good instincts. Uh, I know what yeah. I'm talking about. And she's definitely becoming more more in tune and, and more comfortable with 
with those instincts that she has. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's right. And and yeah, no, great. I don't I don't think we talked about that earlier, the whole idea of of the human um you know, the human versus a demon sort of, you know, who's at will here. And and you get the you get the one line from Xander said, well, you know, we're we're not gonna slay him, right? We're gonna bring him to justice. Like it's mm-hmm. there there definitely is clearly a different way and and a sort of reminder that Buffy isn't here to kill people. She is yeah. she's a vampire slayer and and yes she's here to kill vampires and other demonic beings but it's not uh like her her jurisdiction stops with right. the supernatural she's not the like police. it's yeah 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 so there's there's definitely there's definitely that that minor hint and and yeah and she's you know she's convinced from the beginning pretty much and and ends up being right of course that that it is a demon and that it's not um, a human, but, you know, but even regardless, it does bring up that question of, you know, what if it was a human? Like what, what would we do in that instance? And I think that's a great, great point to bring up. And that's, I don't right. think it's, it's revelatory or, or spoilerish to say that, you know, that question may pop up again in the future. Right. You know, like what, what can, happens when, what can Buffy do against a human person who, does something monstrous i mean i know she physically yeah. could take them down but is that in her yeah what should she in do? her yeah like you said her jurisdiction is it within her rights you know mm-hmm. to well and and it becomes complex because you know we i mean we already know that vampires look like humans you know except for when they're actively um you know when they change in, into sort of their predatory form yeah um but then you know again here we do have these rather unconvincing demons that look human, you know, that have human form Mm -hmm. as well, you know? So, I mean, it, you know, it, as opposed to like Moloch last week, who, when he physically, uh, in the beginning, when he's physically manifest, he's not human like at all. I mean, other than that, he's a biped, (laughs) you know, but like beyond that, like it, and then of course he's a robot later. So, I mean, there's no confusion there. Like you're not going to confuse him with, right you know, John who sits at the other end of the classroom. Right. Um, but there could be confusion with someone like Angel, who is right. a vampire who still has some aspects of humanity. So, you know, let's say that uh that Angel did something, you know, is that the vampire or is that Angel? You know? And Yeah. I so so it's definitely a question that, that I think could come up again. And it's a good uh good thing to think about um fortunately this time it wasn't a human so yeah. they kind of well and they think, kind of avoided it i think that works of... too within your whole levels of awareness thing because you can see how even though because of buffy um their relationship with buffy how giles and willow and xander are at a higher level of awareness that they see things that other people don't and know what's going on beneath the surface and everything but how easily they could be be lulled back into that sort of willful ignorance that, you know. And I don't think it's that, oh, a human killer is necessarily better, so they're not wanting to believe it's demonic or whatever. But I think it's just that because of who she is, Buffy is sort of the only one who seems to be totally immune to this idea that, you know, that things are just mundane and normal and every day. Yeah. That even these people who are close to her can be blind, you know, or can very easily become blind to 
you know, the supernatural happening. So, you know, so, you know, I yeah. wonder whether that comes back, you know, whether there's ever a point where their their disbelief of what Buffy says may last for more than just a couple minutes before she, you know, is able to prove, you know, mm. her point or mm. whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, well, or, or you know, any of, yeah, I mean, it, there there's there's a difference between what's actually happening and what you want to believe is happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think there's certainly some of that going on here and, and yeah. Well, I, so, I mean, like, and I think like just even like, out, like, and I don't think it's just what you want to believe. Like, cause I don't think they want to believe it's human because they specifically say that that's even worse, but just that I think there's like some sort of fundamental human gut reaction against the idea of the supernatural that you're always going to want to try to find the rational explanation. And even these people who know about the existence of the supernatural, the first gut reaction is, you know, it's disbelief. Well, or even that the knowledge that their knowledge of the supernatural is limited to what they've already experienced. Right. So like, you you know, like Xander with his whole Right. So if it's not a vampire, (laughs) then yeah. Or yeah, or a huge praying mantis. Right, like, right. you know, I mean it yeah, no, there's like well, you know, it can't be the stummy. Look, it's made out of wood and it's, you know, I'm here holding it, tapping its head against yeah. the desk. Like that there's no way that this little thing could be a scary demon or whatever. Yeah. When Right. Okay, it's not the demon, but it certainly ends up being more than yeah. what they were expecting it to be. So it's it's yeah, it's that Buffy, I think, yeah, like you're right, she's she's sort of seeing beyond her experience and starting to trust her instincts more. The others are sort of, you know, they are indoctrinated, but they're limited to what they've already experienced. They're not really expanding it out to new ideas or, or new things or new possibilities, even though certainly Giles should be able to do that at this point. But again, his, his knowledge seems to be more... Um, bookish at this point yeah. it, it, it's it's all theoretical mm-hmm. almost and and it's limited to what has happened in the past and there it's not until um is it willow who finds the passage about you know certain dolls right taking uh uh you know body parts to become human which that... again a creepy idea that they just didn't do anything with because what that said to me was like she said like some dolls already possess consciousness, like, on their own. Uh, and right. But then certain ones of them try to act on the desire to become human and will harvest organs for this. So, what, are we saying that, like, there are, like, all your dolls are really alive and sentient, but it's only a few <laughs> of them that act on this this latent envy that they have and the jealousy for life and go nuts and just go try to get it so that yeah. again that's a creepy idea that it's only the very select few that try to act on the desire but deep down they really all have it you know i thought that was kind of a a nice touch it made yeah. it made this story bigger than just the one doll but the idea that you know it's all to, you know that that's very Doctor Who. Like, it's all your toys. It's not just this one toy. It's, you know, right. kids, you know, keep an eye on your toys because one day one of them might 
want to <laughs> steal life for himself, you know? Yeah, 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 possibility. But I, I think, again, you know, it's 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 that idea that Buffy is, is she's seeing beyond what actually is and, and, and sort of not deducing, but sort of intuiting what is, you know what the case actually is whereas the others have to have it proven quote unquote proven yeah. in some way to them you know through through giles and and um and and willow you know it's through the books that they read like oh well there is a book who confirms that it could possibly be a doll that's animated somehow so oh it might, maybe it's this particular doll that's animated and for xander it's when the doll is no longer sitting in the chair that it was sitting in a minute ago. Like it's, you know, these are the things that convince them well, eventually. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, call back the soul triptych for a second here because <laughs> Buffy or I'm sorry, Willow lo- yep. looks it up in a book. Yep. Xander needs the physical proof. He needs to yep. see it with his own eyes and Buffy yep. just intuits. There you go. So there you go. I'll so it's it's still holding so, up. So far, it's so pretty far good. we're holding with it. Pretty good. We're I mean we're up to our tenth episode of yeah. well ninth episode of each season anyway, yeah. and and it's still still holding true. Still holding hmm. the water. There you go. <laughs> good call. All right. Well, I guess um, we I think we kind of played this one out. I I feel like neither of us were too enthusiastic, but I think we came up with some good stuff here. Yeah. No, and, great. And I, think, I think great elements that just weren't uh, taken advantage of as effectively as they might've been. So sure, as a whole, sure. it doesn't really gel, but, but the pieces, like there's some, there's still some really good ideas um, mm-hmm. and really good moments, I think. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Okay. Well, Next week, I think we will have some really exciting stuff to talk about too. Because oh, we'll have the second second half of yeah um, episode ten, and then which and then, I have to say, uh, it's called the Doctor Dances, which is one of my favorite titles ever because it's just so yeah. strange and random. Well, there there you go. So there's that to look forward to, and then. Um, for Buffy, we get some, we get some really, well, I mean, we're, we're coming up in the last few episodes of each of these seasons. Right. So yeah. I we're going to start. Uh, I think we're going to, you know, myth, mythologically speaking, we may uh, have some really good stuff to be talking about. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I think what Buffy is an episode shorter. I think there's 12 episodes in this yeah. season and there's 13 for Dr. Who. So I think, yeah, for the doctor, we'll kind of, finish out this story and then with both shows we'll be heading into the you know the thrust of the finale so exciting stuff indeed indeed okay well then we will see you all next week thank you for listening all right see you next time